Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Now, I didn't anticipate in recording a session, or rather an episode uh, this morning, but uh, I got a great call in from um, Ray Otis uh, that uh, gave me some food for thought that I wanted to talk about. And we actually had something happen in our Barrow Maze campaign last night that uh, was pretty interesting. I thought I would um, share my thoughts on uh, because we had our first boss fight. So let's talk about random tables and the Barrow Maze boss. Hi, Kevin. This is Ray. I have a couple questions for you. The first one is, is that your dog driving the truck? If so, tell me about him. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other is, uh, you left a cool message for my podcast, Plundergrounds, in which you described a table uh, that has a sort of progressive columnar approach to it, which I thought was super cool. And I just uh, kind of love tables in general as a way of creating setting. And, and I would like to know, I guess I was, this is sort of a designer question if it appeals to you. How, how critical do you think uh, tables are to mega dungeons? Is there a relationship or do some mega dungeons do fine without, you know, without a lot of tables? Um, and which the, uh, and if you have a lot of experience with different mega dungeons, which is the most table heavy mega dungeon you can think of? Uh, and, and how does that work if you've played through it? Cool. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, so uh, first off, uh, Ray, I have to apologize because I, I actually I don't think it was me that called in on uh, on that. I, uh, it's a great question, and I'm gonna uh, dive into it. Um, but uh, it, that wasn't me who actually uh, called in, so you may want to double check and uh, see who did call in with the very uh, clever observation about uh, the use of tables in uh, Mega Dungeons. Um, but uh, as to your your uh, two questions, I guess first off. You know, anyone who knows me knows that uh, the only thing I love talking about more than uh, role-playing games is my dog. Uh, so thanks so much for the opportunity to do that. Uh, you are correct. The uh, dog that is depicted in um, the illustration that I use for the uh, Dungeon Musings podcast uh, is my dog, Emmy Lou. Uh, she is a pit bull boxer uh, who is a uh, rescue pup as well. Uh, so she's got uh, a couple of... Um, Peccadillos uh, that make her a little uh, agitated when she's uh, out on a leash or whatnot, but uh, she is an absolutely lovely dog, and she is totally my um, uh, my co-pilot, uh, both uh, when uh, I drive and uh, in life in general, which is both sad and awesome, I guess. But um, anyway, um, the illustration actually gave me an opportunity to talk about that. The uh, was done by a really good buddy of mine named Paul Soero who is a really talented um, illustrator and animator. Um, he works in the industry, uh, but uh, he and I had uh, published a comic together a few years ago, and then uh, for several of the um, Calgary Comic Entertainment and, uh, sorry, Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expos, we had uh, hosted a booth today together. So uh, he has uh, since moved away, but uh, he uh, went out, was leaving. I had made a joke one time about, uh, uh, took a picture passing a semi and made a joke about, uh, wanting to, you know, um, scream out, witness me and drive into it. And the result was that, uh, you know, um, that amazing illustration of me and Emmy uh, driving my uh, my Jeep Wrangler. So um, as is usually the case in artistic partnerships, the writer comes up with some half-baked idea and the artist really brings it home. So a big thanks to Paul for, for that uh, terrific um, illustration. And to you, Ray, for asking me an opportunity to talk about it. And, uh, and my girl, Emmy Lou. Um, so as to your question about the uh, tables, so the only tables that I've really, uh, the only mega dungeons I should say that I've really dived into in any significant uh, way have been um, 
to a lesser degree Rapanothoke, but Rapanothoke is really not my... I haven't found it to be my flavor of, um, you know, of uh, fantasy. So I haven't really gone much more than just done a very brief overview of it. Uh, I have been using Barrow Maze Complete quite extensively in my uh, current campaign. Uh, and uh, I've got uh, Forbidden Caverns of Archaea, which I've, I've briefly read over. I haven't really gone into a lot of detail about but it seems to be very much in the same vein as uh, Barrow Maze in terms of how many random tables there are and, and uh, whatnot. Um, and I also have uh, uh, Dwimmer Mount, uh, which I, I really enjoy quite a bit, uh, though for a different reason. Uh, I, lo- I love the kind of implied backstory in that game and, and some of the other uh, ways that they incentivize getting uh, treasure or um, knowledge back and giving specific uh, rewards for that. Um, but uh, that one doesn't have quite as many uh, like other random tables to add random elements. And I guess uh, what I can do is I can tell you why I really love the... And I really think they're, some of the tables in Barrow Maze are so effective. The, so for those who don't own Barrow Maze, um, I would, if you're looking for a sandbox setting, um, I cannot uh, strongly recommend this enough for, for a group that wants to do you know, a bit of a wilderness crawl followed by a pretty extensive uh, dungeon crawl. Um, the game, uh, or the uh, game itself is is one massive sprawling dungeon which is specifically designed to be used, you know, book open uh, for uh, for you to uh, be able to just, you know, when, when the players get into the new room, you can read it as you go. You don't really need to do an inordinate amount of work beforehand. That's in the dungeon itself. There are some interesting... Um, not just interesting, but really fun and flavorful uh, tables to add character to the dungeon as well, too, including a restock table, which is uh, where when you um, clear out a dungeon, uh, you know, the, the DM, while they're gone, DM will roll some uh, restock and see whether anything's happened to that, uh, that either that room or the barrow, if they're returning back to one of the barrows. In, the, in that setting, the barrow maze itself, the titular dungeon, uh, is located underneath these uh, the sprawling massive field of uh, barrow of uh, um, uh, like basically cr- uh, barrow crypts and uh, the campaign starts with the players not knowing what the entrance is so they kind of have to go stomping around and dig up these old uh, mounds and try and find a way to get into this legendary maze and uh, that uh, the barrows that they encounter along the way those are um, uh, those are things that can be restocked as well too uh, one of the elements that he added that isn't expressly supposed to be used in the campaign, but he kind of suggests that, you know, if you want to add other elements, there's a bunch of keyed barrows that where there's, you know, keyed encounters and you can look them up in the book. But there's also a, a set of tables for randomly generating barrows, not only what's, you know, uh, the layout of the barrows and what's in them in terms of treasure and monsters, but little characteristics about them as well, too, like wh- whether the door is covered and whether the you need to you know dig it up or whether the uh, door is open already and, and what's happened then um, what traps might be in there and so forth and uh, all of that stuff is really great for two reasons I think uh, for one it allows you to to really kind of shake up the uh, kind of the, the expectations of just reading the product like it makes the product more than just what's written in it um, so as a DM it's a lot more I mean it's interesting to see what barrows come together and then, of course, you do your DM job and try and weave a story as to why that stuff makes sense and why it's co- why uh, the, that particular barrel has those particular characteristics. But it gives you a really, really terrific starting point for that. Uh, in, a, in addition, there's you know great little um, 
uh, tables uh, for both the barrows and for the uh, barrow maze itself where you can add uh, you know random graffiti uh, or you can add uh, random element, you know, elements that are found in a sarcophagus, and all of them seem to make an internal, you know, have an internal logic that is that makes sense to the barrow maze. So it may be something that is randomly generated, but it may actually lead back into the story of them, uh, the players, learning more about the secrets of the barrow maze and the different factions that lurk within. Um, and uh, the tables are not particularly long there's obviously you know like random encounter tables as well too for day for night for different locations they're fairly small and they're fairly easy to um uh, to locate in barrow maze there are it doesn't duplicate any uh monsters that it doesn't change from the labyrinth lord books but in uh, i did notice that in forbidden caverns of archaea uh, they have added all the monsters so you've got everything you need in that one book um so those are the things that I think are, are the reason I think those are both great because uh, they're really well done in terms of like the monsters you encounter are thematic to the Barrow Moor or to the maze. Uh, they are also um, really handy and really uh, really effective in what they're trying to do, which is to make the DM's job easy. You know, and um, playing these OSR games is really easy to, to uh, add random encounters in without uh, a great deal of, of effort because. It's easy to figure out what they what the monsters do and, and make them an interesting encounter. Um, so, in terms of um, the random the, the tables, those are the tables that I've used a great deal. Uh, oh, and another thing that actually they have in there too is the random who's in the bar thing. It's it's not it's kind of more of a checklist than a table, but it's kind of set out like a table, and that's awesome as well too. So, it gives the um, the local bar that you uh, all end up hanging out at in the um, in the town of Helix, which is the staging ground for the Barrow Maze, there's a, a, lo- a locale named the Brazen Strumpet run by a guy named Balo. And Balo um, is always there. Uh, but, uh, you know, the rest of the townsfolk may or may not be there depending on the roll of the dice. And as well, some of the other adventuring parties may be there uh, or not depending on a roll of the dice, which gives you a really great opportunity to, even in the bar, make that an interesting and story-driving encounter. For my campaign, I've added in some rules for um, building reputation. So, you know, I've got one player who is particularly interested in currying favor with the Church of St. Yig. So whenever the uh, Yigites or the followers of St. Yig are in there, he makes a point of talking to them. A couple of the other players really took to uh, the elves of the uh, Thornswild... um, uh, I think it's the Thornswild Wood or the Thornswild Forest. And uh, there's one of those elves who lives in town named Valoron, and they always make a point of going to talk to him and try and ingratiate themselves to him. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, so that, that's a, a really great... Uh, oh, and I built up some um, rivalry between the uh, different adventuring groups as well, too, based solely on those random encounters. So it's a, uh, you know, it as an example of how to effectively make tables that will help fill out parts of the campaign uh, I think Barrow Maze stands as a terrific example, there's a reason it's so well thought of and um, you know, and so popular excuse me, uh, so popular So, um, anyway, I hope that answers your question um, next I want to talk about the Barrow Maze So that brings me to last night's uh, session. And uh, last night's Barrow Maze, at the time of recording last night, uh, we had our first boss fight. 
Now, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with my Barrow Maze campaign, I am running Greg Gillespie's very cool Barrow Maze Complete using a hacked version of Kevin Crawford's uh, Scarlet Heroes. And the hack is pretty heavily based on, uh, or at least influenced by uh, many of the ideas that he put forth in Revised Stars Without Number. So I am very, very much standing on the shoulders of giants in, uh, in this campaign. But uh, in any event, it... it um, one of the things that he introduced in the Revised Stars Without Number book was the idea of a nemesis. And uh, what a nemesis is, is basically, um, unlike other adversaries in Scarlet Heroes or in Heroic Mode uh, Revised Stars Without Number, a nemesis doesn't just have a number of hit points equal to its hit dice. Uh, instead, you multiply its hit dice by four, so it's got a big bucket of hit points. In addition, just like the heroes, a nemesis has a fray dice. So it is present in the encounter and damaging more than just its one target that it's uh, focusing on uh, throughout the, uh, the encounter, which makes them feel bigger than life, I think, and, and uh, bigger than their you know, um, individual presence. Finally, they get a uh, bonus of uh, plus four to hit, which means that they hit a lot more often than uh, what uh, the other uh, adversaries do. So the, the net effect of that is that they're pretty effective at whatever it is they do, be it spells or be it... Uh, you know, um, melee combat or whatever. And um, uh, those rules did not disappoint last night. Uh, last night, the guys uh, were exploring, basically they were, uh, it was the last session in which I was featuring Carl Sargent's uh, Flying City of Serene from his uh, Top Ballista product. Uh, this was uh, them out on a mission for basically as a trade-off for a deal made with the Sphinx. They decided they were uh, instructed to help a Pegatar re recover his family's sword. So um, the fight was, uh, they went to this bandit camp to try and recover it. They found the bandit camp completely decimated and uh, dead down to uh, one last survivor who happened to be uh, an NPC they had encountered in a previous adventure. And as they were sort of coming to terms with who this NPC was, the uh, the shadow kind of cast over them. This NPC starts weeping again. And then uh, seconds later, this massive wyvern comes crashing through the woods and lands. And they see atop the wyvern is a druid who looks very sickly and twisted. And uh, this is part of, again, another of the ongoing uh, themes or uh, plots that's going on in my Barrow Maze campaign. And... Uh, so tonight, or last night, was the, the actual fight. The druid I built as a 6th level druid uh, per, you know, um, mostly per the, uh, the hacked rules that I'm using. Uh, but then I, I just, for hit points, I just took his uh, uh, 6 times uh, 4, so he had 24 hit points, which is a lot for that particular uh, type of game, where you're only really doing, like, between 1 and, and on the outside, 4 points of damage with every hit. That's a long time that that uh, guy's going to be around. Um... But um, it was also an opportunity for me to use the rules that I've come up with for uh, Wild Shape for Druids uh, for the first time as well. And uh, it did, you know, like neither of those things disappointed. I, I went through and it, it took us the full two hours to get through that fight, uh, partly because the guys, uh, <laughs> uh, I had intended to it just be the Druid and he was going to take him down himself. And then at some point, if he was really hurting, he was going to bring in the Wyvern. And the Wyvern was, was just a normal... Wyvern. It wasn't, um, you know, a Nemesis Wyvern, so there's no multiple of hit points. It was just, you know, seven hit dice. If they did seven points of damage to the Wyvern, it would have gone down. Um, however, one of the players decided to try and draw the Wyvern off on the back of the Pegatar, and 
You know, uh, one of the things I'd said in this campaign is that I will always play it um, as, from my perspective at least, true to the uh, fiction. And as soon as that wyvern started getting pegged by arrows from the sky, then it took flight and took off in pursuit of them. And unfortunately, it made very short work of that pegatar um, because wyverns are fucking scary. Um, so anyway, the, the fight went on, and I was really there. Their NPC, who was a first-level fighter, uh, she went down. Uh, so they were down to just the two of them. Uh, the alchemist who is with them, he has a connection with the Cult of the Green Man, and uh, as a result, and also the player wasn't there. So the combination of the two is that perceiving him as the most serious threat, the druid used an ability to basically seal him in a mine here, in a standing stone, and take him out of the fight. So it was really just our monk, our goblin, and our resident druid to take on this, you know, massive enemy. And, um, you know, it went really, really well. Like, uh, the, the, the combat took almost the entire session, which was uh, pretty long for, for one of ours. But I, uh, as soon as we finished up, I asked the guys, you know, about um, what they were thinking of Scarlet Heroes so far. And two of them in, in particular made a point of saying no you know this is exactly what we're talking about like we can get through the other fights quickly if we need to but this felt like a real boss fight it felt like a real challenge and one of the players who uh, had mentioned that he almost died from wyvern poison or his character did it uh, and uh, I really thought he would be thinking that this was you know that, that that's the reason why this was just too tough but you know uh, I guess it says something about me as a DM and the abusive relationship I have engendered with my players, but they love having the, kick, the shit kicked out of them by encounters. And, um, and that was great, you know, and I mean, it, it's kudos to uh, Kevin Crawford for really evolving those rules to the point where, you know, you can introduce this kind of really interesting, significant, you know, cinematic boss fights, but still have it move really quickly. Like, we, we were um, not... So things didn't slow down at all. It just the, the fight took... Um, let the characters get through all of their resources and they were fresh going into it as well too fresh slate of spells you know full hit points and stuff like that and uh, it presented a true challenge for them and it seems that they really enjoyed that so um, so that's great and actually and the you know best of all the druid had a, a nice enough uh, hit points left when he decided to uh, well when, when I failed my morale check for him uh, and he flew away so yeah so I don't know I mean like uh, you know um um, Matt, you had uh, called in, uh, if you're listening to this episode, you had called in before and asked about whether, you know, the um, the heroic mode, you know, uh, didn't let you beat up your, your players. And I can uh, safely say that I kicked the shit out of the players, uh, killed one NPC and nearly killed another NPC uh, in that last encounter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, e even though um, Scarlet Heroes uh, does uh, allow the, the players to stand a little taller and, you know, um, carry themselves with a little more confidence, you still can really give them that uh, knockdown, drag out, you know, biting their fingers, you know, watching the health bar go down kind of experience, which um, I think makes for really uh, memorable and uh, exciting uh, encounters, particularly for boss encounters. So, so anyway, that's the Barrow Maze update for this week. And that brings us to the end of this episode. So thanks so much for listening. If you have any other questions, concerns, or comments regarding these uh, uh, topics, dogs, uh, random tables, or heroic barrow maze boss fights, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot me a message, and I will uh, respond in a timely fashion. Otherwise, I hope the lead-up to the holidays is treating everybody great, and I hope you're having lots of happy gaming. Thanks. Talk to you soon.